Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is the president and CEO of our organization, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm recovering from COVID, but other than that, not too bad. So uh, was it a was it a very serious bet with COVID this time, or was it more of a... Because you've had it before, so this would be, yeah. I guess, your second or third time having it. It's my my second time having it. I you know I think it's the new strain. It wasn't terrible. It was you know a bad um, sort of head cold with a chest cough for a couple of days, mm-hmm. and then you know just the lasting sort of lingering effects. So you know definitely you know nothing earth shattering. Just you know felt lousy for a couple of days. And, and you know I guess this this leads up a question I didn't put in our show notes just because I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it before we got started. But you know just from your perspective as we go into this next election, and as we as we look at you know, the health, public health, of the United States in general, does COVID still matter? Um, yeah, it, it still matters definitely for the, for the at-risk population. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to screw around with it if I were, you know, um, severely immunocompromised or had bad respiratory issues or right. severe elderly. Um, but it, it has done what everybody hoped it would, which is it's mutated to the point where it is still very contagious. I mean, my whole family's had it, Mm -hmm. um, but nowhere near as severe it was when it first came out. And that's what happens with viruses. Right. So, I mean, you know, a lot of doctors will say, you know, a couple of years, everybody will be getting COVID once or twice a year and we probably won't even know it. It'll feel like a cold and that's okay. It's it's interesting to hear some people, you know, that you've, you've had it more than once. I've heard other people that have had it more than once. And you've been vaccinated and boosted and all that. And I was as well. But And I will say it's odd because I, I have never once tested positive for COVID, either before I got the vaccine or, or afterwards. And I, it's just an interesting, I know some people like to point and say, well, clearly there's something there. But I, I guarantee you there's no there there for that. Yeah. But um, it, it's just interesting still to see. And I guess it's the same way that some people get the flu every year and some people don't. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, we know where we got it. I took my son to New York city. We were shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he came, came home and got symptomatic fairly shortly after that. So we know exactly where we got it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think not to get too far down the whole vaccine thing, but when people say vaccines don't work, see, you got it to me, that's a little bit like saying, well, seatbelts don't work because you died in a car accident. Well, right. it's not a pass fail. You know, it's not a one zero. Seatbelts mm-hmm. help you survive accidents. Vaccine, the vaccine helps you to a not get COVID or to b, you know, get over it faster. So it's it's not that sort of a a pass fail kind of a thing. So and for every news that you're exactly right for every news study that comes out on seatbelts, like we just had, I guess it was last week or the week before about some of the the rear seatbelts in mm-hmm. midsize sedans. A lot of them have a, a rate were rated poorly by the by the safety testers because of the way they could. Uh, cut into someone's abdomen, but that's, that's not the point of today's program. I'm glad that you're feeling better and that uh, everyone in your family seems to be doing better. Um, And as I mentioned before we get going, uh, it's going to be about 9 million degrees here in my office in a few seconds. So (laughs) let's try and hop into what we're talking about today There we go. uh, and and get this over before I melt. Uh, We've talked before about Wagovi and Mounjaro and the weight loss drugs in general. And that was actually one of our most listened to episodes. So thank you for everyone for listening to that and sharing that with your family and friends. And we ask you to do that to this one as well. And we're going to revisit that topic today because there's been some new data that has come out. And of course, we always like data here on the Flatlining Podcast. And this is an analysis done by the Peterson Center on Healthcare and the Kaiser Family Foundation. And it looks at the 
cost of drugs like Wagovi and Manjaro and Rebelsis and Ozempic in the U.S. compared to other countries. And it's if you take a look at this, and we'll have it linked in the show notes, it is very immediately appear. It very immediately appears that the U.S. is paying the most for these drugs. And of course, we've talked about other international drug prices before, but we'll we'll focus on Wagovi and these other ones today, where the U.S. is paying for Ozempic, for example, is nine hundred and thirty-six dollars for a one milligram um, monthly supply, whereas in Japan, which is the next most expensive, it's one hundred and sixty-nine dollars, and it only goes down from there. So, mm-hmm. I guess the first question I have for you, Ron, is why for a drug like this that's made here in this country, why do we pay more than Japan or Canada or other allies? Um, the short answer, and then I'll give you the more complete answer, is because we will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anybody sells a product for whatever the maximum is somebody's willing to buy it for. And in this country, we've got a system that's set up to where really price isn't a component of what a healthcare service or drug sells for. It's whether or not it can be approved and will be paid for. And then basically, for the most part, the manufacturer gets to set the price um, because people don't price shop because you're spending somebody else's money. When you're going into the pharmacy with your insurance card, somebody else is paying the bill. It's like going to dinner on the company credit card Mm -hmm. rather than your own. You know, you look at the prices when it's your own card, where if you look at the other countries, Germany, Switzerland, Canada, Japan, any of those, that country is actually both procuring and paying for it because they're basically socialized medicine countries. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened is when somebody, you know, when Nova Nordis goes to Germany and says, hey, will you pay $1,300 for Wagovi? They say, no, we'll pay $300. Mm-hmm. And Nova Nordis goes, okay, I'll sell it to you for 300 But in this country, you know, the buy, the person who's actually consuming it doesn't care about the price. So it's it's because our system is set up upside down and it happens in a number of things, but drugs is just one of them where it's easy to point out because it's a product. And we've talked before about some of the proposals, particularly from Senator Rand Paul, who mentioned that he wanted to, he thought it would be interesting to start buying drugs from other countries like Canada or France or some of these other ones. And we've talked about the problem with that is that you could see a company like Nova Nordisk start to say, well, we're just not going to sell to those countries anymore. Now they've got to buy it from the United States if they want it. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the really silly part is, we don't have to get that complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, all we have to do is take a look at what a free market economy does and make it work here. So let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Let's say that um, we had a system in this country where we were going to approve a weight loss drug, but we were going to approve it based on partially what the, the outcomes are, but partially on the price. And so let's say that the, the government said, you know, the insurance companies and Medicare, et cetera, um, hey, tell me what you're willing to sell it for, and then I'll tell you whether we're going to buy it. And let's take Rebelsis, for example, sure. the, the tablet, which doesn't work as well, but it does work for some people. Mm-hmm. If the manufacturer Rebelsis said, I'll sell you the tablets for $200 a month, but for the injection, which works better, I want $500 a month for Wagovi. And then let's say that Manjaro came along and said, I'll do it for $400 a month. Well, then what would happen is they would say, look, we're going we're gonna to say Rebelsis is covered first as your first line drug. We want to start on the tablets. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then we're going to move you to the injection, but we're not going to move you to Wagovia. We're going to move you to Manjaro mm-hmm. because it's $100 a month cheaper. Well, I guarantee you if that happened, the first thing Wagovia is going to say is 400 I said 350 Right. That's a free market economy. Okay. 
And if they got close to Rebelsis, Rebelsis might say, well, I'll do mine for 150 a tablet or a month. So the point is, all we'd have to do is sort of inject that cost competition into the marketplace. And Mogovi wouldn't be $1,300 a month. It'd be 300 like it is in Germany. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that here. One of the other things that they pointed out, uh, they compared the, the prevalence of obesity in each of these countries and the price uh, for the drug in each of these countries. And of course, they're, they're defining obesity in this report as a BMI over uh, greater than or equal to 30 um, and around standardized age estimates. And yeah. for the United States, the prevalence is about 33.5% of the population is, is obese, according to this particular data. The next closest would be the United Kingdom at nearly 26%, and then Canada, and then Australia. And of course, comparing that to the fact that something like Manjaro or Ozempic costs nearly nine or 10 times as much as it does in some of these other countries. Do you think that there's possibly, the, the drug manufacturers could possibly make a supply argument here that the supply is necessarily shorter here because the demand is higher, and that's why they have to charge more? No, I, I think there's I think there's no... There's no there there. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the scary part is the more recent data shows that our prevalence is up to 40%. Mm. Um, and our severe obesity prevalence is almost 10%. So, no, I don't think there's there's anything to supply. It's not like the shipping of the product. That's a very small product, et cetera, you know, has anything to do with it. And they couldn't keep up with supply regardless. I mean, for any of the countries until pretty recently. So it really has to do with the fact that somebody's willing to pay more for it in this country. And that's what they're selling it for. And it's reflected in what's happened with that company. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at, and I'm just picking on Wagovi, if you look at Nova Nordis, the manufacturer of Wagovi, of Wagovi, their stock price has doubled in less than a year. Mm-hmm. doubled. Yep. Okay. Well, that's because they're reaping an awful lot of pro- profit out of, uh, out of this drug. Uh, one of the few things, uh, one of the other things I want to talk about before we switch gears just a little bit is, um, does it, does it matter for most Americans that it costs more here? I know right now, none of the insurance companies are covering these for weight loss. They're being covered for the, what their intended purpose was, um, for diabetes. So, does it matter in that sense? And then should they be covered by insurance? Well, it, it, it does matter. And right now, it, it doesn't matter as much to the manufacturers um, because they can't keep up with the demand that's that's there. Um, you know, once they get their production up to where they can keep up with demand, there's, there's going to be a huge push for coverage by the insurance companies. And, and it's one of the reasons why Nova Nordisk sponsored some studies that show that not only does it lower weight loss that the studies tend to show it also lowers your cardiac and stroke risk mm-hmm. um, outside of that. So they're trying to get more traction on why it should be covered more than just, you know, the obesity problem. They're trying to say, well, this could, this should be covered under a, you know, under a cardiac diagnosis um, or as a stroke prevention drug. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it matters in that there are a lot of people who would like to be on Wagovi who can't afford it you know, at a thousand dollars a month. Um, and so, but you know, Nova Nordisk really doesn't care for that right now because they can't keep up with the demand that's already there. Right. Should it be covered? Um, that starts to get into a question of cost benefit. Right. Um, and we've talked before a lot in this program that, you know, we're, we're spending money we don't have on healthcare. Um, Wagovi at $1,300 a month, um, doesn't make sense in a purely cost benefit. 
Um, because if you look at it, so there's, there's roughly 14, almost 15 million people in this country that would, that are obese, that could meet mm-hmm. a clinical criteria for Wagobi. Okay. Even at just a thousand dollars a month, not the 13 or 1400 that it is at a thousand dollars a month, that's $7 billion a month to cover it for everybody. Right. Okay. That's $170 billion a year. Well, the total cost of obesity in this country is only $173 billion. So you would have to completely wipe out all of the obesity problem in this country, which it won't do. You know, it's not a miracle drug in order for it to make financial sense. Um, so one could argue from a purely economic perspective, it doesn't make sense financially to cover Wagobi because you're going to spend more money than what you're going to save on cost. Now, from a humanitarian effort, is that saying we should just, you know, say people are just going to be obese and deal with all those issues? That doesn't sit well with us as a country either. Right. The solution is getting rid of, you know, creating a free market economy to where there isn't these exorbitant profits because at $300 a month, it absolutely makes sense to cover it. And I will tell you what, if it were 300 bucks a month, the insurance companies would cover it mm-hmm. because it would yep. make sense for them as well. Right. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about uh, public opinion around some of these weight loss drugs because the, the July uh, poll from the Kaiser Family Foundation focused very heavily on this. And they polled 1,300 Americans, just over 1,300 Americans, about their opinions on and their views on some of these weight loss drugs. And I'm going to throw some of these at you, Ron, and I want you to just kind of give me your initial thoughts on some of them. And and uh, we'll have a little bit more discussion when we're done. The, but the first one is that nearly half of Americans um, say that they would be interested in taking a drug uh, to lose weight. And this is not excluding diet and exercise from that. It's just saying if the question was, if you ever heard if you heard of a prescription weight loss drug that was safe and effective, how interested would you be using uh, that prescription drug to lose weight? And nearly half said very or somewhat interested. Um, one, it's obviously showing there's a market here. And as we talked about before, that people are willing to pay the price in this country for some of these drugs. Um, but what does that say, too, about uh, other health you know, of doing other things that, to stay healthy and to possibly lose weight. Of course, that, like I said, it wasn't excluded in the poll question, but I'm curious what you think about that. Well, and that's, and, and you sort of hit on it. One of the things you got to be careful about with poll questions is that you don't assume that um, the question fully explains the answer mm-hmm. or the answer fully explains what the meaning of the question. For example, um, there were not great qualifiers to that question if the person answering it was even obese themselves. So, Correct. Yes. you know, if we know that 40% of the people have obesity and 50% of the people said they would take it, well, is that everybody that's obese and thinks they might be, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 50% who said, no, maybe people who don't have a problem with overweight. Okay. The other is, do you know, do they fully understand what that means by safe and effective? Are they thinking, well, I need this to help me along with diet and exercise or, that way I don't have to get on the treadmill. We don't know all that stuff. What right. we do know is that if if 40% of the people are dealing with a problem and 50% of the people said they would take a drug for it, that's probably a pretty good correlation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to, to point that out, the, the, they did mention in their methodology that about 500 of these 1,300 individuals have been told by their doctor that they are overweight or obese. Just right. So that is in there. Um, they, they did do their due diligence in making sure that got logged. Uh, the next one said that more people would be interested if it's a pill instead of an injection. And I'm curious what you think about that. Well, I think, uh, you know, that to me is one of those uh, people were much more comfortable taking a pill than an injection. Right. And 
a lot of people don't, you know, don't understand like what do they mean by an injection? Um, the little Wagovi pens, A, are really easy to do. It's not mm-hmm. like sticking a needle in a vein. It's not like drawing blood and they don't hurt. So, you know, the question is, do these people understand, you know, how easy that it is to take the pill, but, or the pen, but I mean, yeah, I'd rather take a pill than a shot any day. Um, even when the shot's pretty easy and you only have to do it once a week. The next data point, this goes back to our previous conversation about whether or not it should be covered by insurance. Uh, 80% of individuals who were asked uh, whether or not it should be covered, uh, your health insurance should cover the cost of the prescription weight loss drugs. 80% said it should be for those who have been diagnosed as overweight or obese. So that requires, you know, going to a doctor and making sure that they've done that. And they've said, yes, your BMI is over this amount and we've determined you're obese. 53% thinks it should be available for anyone who wants to lose weight. And I'm curious what you think. I mean, the 80% kind of makes sense. You know, if you've, if you've got a medical diagnosis, you're, you know, the prescription should be covered by your health care, by your health insurance. But the idea that anyone should be able to get it um, and have it covered by their health insurance is a little interesting to me. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's it's only in America. Okay, mm, right. I mean, we are a pretty vain country. Um, I've seen similar numbers when the question is asked, do you think somebody should be allotted cosmetic, sur- purely cosmetic surgery, uh, you know, a um, something to make your uh, rhinoplasty to make your nose smaller because it will help their mental health and their, their sense of self. Hmm. And, and a fairly large percentage of people say, yes, they should. So that doesn't surprise me that we think, well, you know, if you want to lose an extra five pounds, you should be, you should have this covered. You know, it's hard to make the argument that that's clinically necessary. Um, but again, we're a country that's fairly vain and we like to, you know, have what we like to have. Well, you know, if Bernie Sanders got his way, and this is my favorite quote of his, is uh, when he was interviewed by CBS News when he was running for president back in 20, uh, I guess it was 2016, he was running for the Democratic nomination. He was asked, would Blue Cross Blue Shield be reduced to nose jobs? And he said, yes, Blue Cross Blue Shield will be reduced to doing nose jobs (laughs) under uh, his health care plan. Uh, The other interesting point from this particular question was 50% of those uh, polled said that they think it should be covered by insurance, even if it raises monthly health insurance premiums for everyone. And I'm curious what you think about that one as well. Well, it would be interesting, and, and you can't do this in a survey. This, there's, you know, when you start to get into more focus groups or whatever, mm-hmm. there's an economic theory about price elasticity. It's one thing to say, I think it should be covered if it even if it raises premiums for everybody. But by how much are you willing to raise it? You know, because you don't know if the person thinks, ah, what's it, a a buck or two a month? I think that should be fine. And it'd be interesting to find out where that break point is, where people start to go, well, if it raises your premium a dollar a month, yeah, that works. How about $10 a month? Okay. How about a hundred bucks a month? Well, uh, no, you know, because there's some breaking point there. It also is interesting that depending on, and I'll use me personally, I'm on Wagovi. I pay for it. I pay out of pocket for mm-hmm. it. Now, for me, since I'm already paying a thousand dollars a month, my break point is nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah. Know? Okay. Yep. So, because anything beyond that, I, I of course, I think it should increase for everybody because it's a deal for me personally. Sure. And that's a tough thing to really separate in a survey. I think the main thing is that I take away from a lot of this stuff is, in general, as a country, we think it should be covered. We think it should be covered definitely if it's medically necessary, but we're kind of okay if it's just for cosmetic purposes. Um, and we understand it might cost a little bit more. That's the general sense that I get from this. Um, but 
you know, the insurance companies aren't covering it because it's their money they're playing with and they don't right now, it doesn't make sense for them to cover it. Right. Let me throw this one out of you at you from out of left field because it's a mm-hmm. it's a conversation we've talked a little bit about before, and that is should you know premiums be more for people who choose to live unhealthy lifestyles or who do live on healthy lifestyles? And is there an argument to be made that to say, yes, there should be a higher premium for those who live unhealthier lifestyles, but in addition to that, you have drugs like Wagovi or Ozempic or the other weight loss drugs covered under that that wouldn't normally be covered for a healthy person. Well, so there's there's definitely in insurance the logic for charging more for, for quote-unquote bad behavior. Um, if you get a few speeding tickets or a DUI, your auto insurance goes up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you um, you know, do certain things or have certain issues, you know, your life insurance cost goes up. Um so we've, we've got that sort of premise already. Now, to me, the better way to do it is to flip it and say, well, don't, don't charge people more for an unhealthy lifestyle. Give them a break if they try to fix that unhealthy lifestyle. So in mm-hmm. other words, sure. rather than having a fat tax and saying, well, you know, you're, you're, Ron, you're overweight. you got to pay more for your insurance. Say, wow, he's actively working for a doctor and we can see he's improving his weight, including taking Wagovi, including, you know, doing exercise or whatever. And so we're going to give them a break for trying to fix that unhealthy lifestyle. That to mm-hmm. me, doing the carrot rather than the stick starts to produce the kind of behaviors that we want without the, you know, the social stigma of saying, well, we, you know, we're going to have a fat tax on your, on your health insurance. Cause sure. that's really going to be difficult for, for people to swallow. No, that, and that the may other, go, I'm sorry. The go other ahead. problem is there, you know, there definitely are parts of this where it's hard to segment. Is it a lifestyle issue or is it a genetic issue? You know, do we want to punish mm-hmm. people for things they're really trying, um, but they're not having a whole lot of success for? Um, and that gets, again, really problematic. And even those people, if they can show and they're going to their doctor regularly and they're really trying to lose weight, hey, give them the break. Yeah. Because the mere fact that they're going to their primary care physician on a regular basis, they're going to pick up other things. It's going to help, you know. So that, that's my thought is do the carrot rather than the stick. But I do think we should do the carrot. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this then, because a lot of companies offer, um, or at least before COVID, they did uh, some sort of kind of you know health, um, you know, benefit program. You know, you do certain things, you could show your supervisor, and you get some sort of reward at the end of the year. You know, a gift card or yeah. or, or cash or a bonus or something like that. Should that be roped in to your health insurance? Like, should you say you have Blue Cross insurance, your employer, and maybe you pay part of your monthly premium for that? Should that should you be able to get that as a discount on your insurance premium, which might be valued more than what you would get if you got a, you know, a gift card or some cash? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean that, you know, the, the reward has to be worthwhile. Um, so let's take obesity. Um, since we've been talking about it, uh-huh. <clears throat> the, the studies are that people who are clinically obese, their average cost of healthcare every year is about, it's just under $2,000 more than people who aren't obese. So okay. there's some money there. Okay. Let's say that the carrot was a $250 check, okay? $200 check. 200 bucks to a lot of people, that's something I'm going to work for, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one-tenth of the cost savings of, of solving the obesity problem. You know, that's a pretty good rate of return, 10 to 1, and it's a meaningful number, you know? So instead of... Uh, of it being a discount from a from a bill, especially since your employer's probably paying the bill, um, let's have it be an actual rebate check. 
you know, mm-hmm. look at what the, you know, the, the auto insurance companies have done where the, you know, the safe driver discount where, sure. mm-hmm. you know, we'll actually send you a check at the end of it. It's the exact same thing. Um, imagine somebody who's dealing with, they're quitting smoking, they're dealing with their obesity, they're seeing their doctor, they're, you know, you could add up a fair amount of money to really address what are some very down the road costly events and, and produce a much healthier lifestyle. For mm-hmm. Well, Ron, uh, we've just about hit all the time we have for today. Uh, if you want to get up with us and share your comments, you can share them on the platform you're listening now or follow me and Ron on X, formerly known as Twitter. Ron is at Ron Howergan and I am at Radio Handley. Ron, thanks for sitting down uh, this week again on the Flatlining Podcast. We appreciate you gracing your presence with us and sharing your intelligence. No problem. Thank you. Next week, we're talking more about drugs. Should the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, should Medicare cover all drugs approved by the FDA? That's our discussion next week. So subscribe and never miss an episode.